Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Luke, chapter 2, verses 25 through 32. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For mine eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. This is God's word. Thank you. Good morning. My name is Tony Ellswick, and I'm a missionary here at Church of the Redeemer on our way to Nicaragua. So I'd like to welcome everybody who's here. It's always great to be in town. Obviously, we've been traveling a lot, and so it's always great to be in town, to be able to worship together. Uh, we had a great time at Christmas Eve service. Were, were most of you guys able to make it to that? Yeah, it was a wonderful service. Thanks. I'd like to thank everybody who helped put that on because I was not a part of the help that, that put it on, but we really appreciate everybody's hard work and Christmas Eve going out there and doing that, putting on a beautiful service. My favorite part of the service is always when they have the candles, right? And you can you see with the candles and you can look back and you can see all the beautiful candles. And uh, that's my favorite part. It's also my, the scariest part for me because of my hair gel, right? So I have... I have a lot of flammable product in my head, and I'm always just a little bit afraid that I'm going to be the loud candle up front, you know? <laughs> but so far, 33 years, that hasn't happened yet, so I'm on a good streak, feeling pretty good about it. So, uh, and, you know, when we're always, when we're here, people like to ask us, you know, where we are in the process, how are things going, and things are going really well. We're at 87% now, so, so we're getting really close. Uh, in fact, uh, Amber was in Nicaragua just a couple of weeks ago, and she found a house that we want to rent. We were able to put a deposit down on it so that the landlord would hold it until we're able to get there. So, so things are moving along. We're, we're really excited. And one thing that I can definitely say is as we've gone around and we've met other missionaries, which we've done a lot in this last year, is that most missionaries don't have as supportive of a home church as we do. And I know this probably sounds trite, but it is the truth. Most of them go out. And they don't have any home congregation that loves them, cares for them. And so I'd just like to thank you guys for the care and support that, that you've given us. It's been, it's been really wonderful. And so the, the weekend, or the week that we decided that we wanted to be missionaries, we were coming home from Washington, D.C. We had spent a week there. And uh, an interesting thing that was happening during that week is we have, we have four daughters. And our youngest, Nicolette, she was just one at the time. And so as we were going through the different Smithsonian's and going through the different monuments, whenever anybody would walk up past us, they would start smiling and they would say, you have the cutest baby. And it would happen to us so often that we were starting to like wonder about it, right? Because we have four kids. This is our fourth, right? We think all of our kids are really cute, but none of them got anywhere near the attention that Nicolette did. And so we were wondering, well, maybe just people in Washington, D.C. are more friendly than Florida. I don't, I don't know. And then on the last day, we were in the, in the zoo, and 
Nicolette was not in the stroller. So when she's in the stroller, she's in front of us. But this time, Amber was holding her. And so we got to see what was going on. Because I'd look back, and whenever anybody walked towards her, it didn't matter how homely looking, how smelly, it didn't matter any of that. Whenever anybody would walk forward, her eyes would light up, and she would smile and point. And it was like she was saying, you, you're finally here. You, you, thank you. You know, it, and I realized they weren't just responding to her cuteness. They were responding to her love and affection towards them, right? And that just made her more cute. But the, the point of it is, is that people love it when you compliment their kids, right? I mean, there, there's nothing better than somebody coming up and saying, your kids are so cute. Or, you know, what's really, what I really like is when they say, they're so well behaved. And you're like... Well, of course, I mean, they've got me as their parent, but thanks for noticing. All right, all right. So imagine, you know, what's going on with Joseph and Mary, and they have Jesus, and they're in Jerusalem, and it's about 40 days after he was born. It was probably before the Magi had come and visited, and they go to, this, to Jerusalem to do this ritual purification that they had to do, and Simeon comes up, and he sees the baby, and so like, any of you people, who've had, mothers especially, who've had babies, you know, in a public place, you know that a lot of times older guys will come up and, you know, oh, look at the kid. And he comes up, but he doesn't just look at the kid. He picks him up, right? Which, if a stranger picks up your baby, the stranger's just kind of asking to get punched. But apparently back then it was okay. So he picks up Jesus and he says, now I can die. That's, that's basically what he's saying, right? He's like, this is the cutest most amazing baby ever. Now I've seen it all. I can die in peace. And that's, that's an amazing compliment. I, we've, never, we've never gotten that one. Keep on looking for that one. But, you know, he's like, well, time to go, you know. But that's what Simeon did when he saw Jesus. And it's so interesting what he says. If you grab your worship folders and we'll just look at um, verse 29. Now, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. A light of revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And the thing that I find so amazing about that is when he talks about the phrase, a light of revelation to the Gentiles. Because first century Jews were not really all that concerned about the salvation of the Gentiles, right? They didn't really like the Romans. The Greeks had ruled them before. Gentiles were unclean. You weren't allowed to eat with them. You weren't supposed to be around them. But here's Simeon. He sees Jesus. And one of the things that, that pops into his mind is it's a light of revelation to the Gentiles. So why, why would that strike him? I, I, think, I think what he is referring to is this ongoing promise in the Old Testament that, that Israel will be the light of salvation to the Gentiles, that the whole world will, will come to know Christ. Look at, uh, if you get your worship folders and you look at our call to worship, let's just look at it again. Psalm 67, it says, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on earth. Your saving power among who? All nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let who? 
All the peoples praise you. Let the what? Nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. And so, so part of what he's doing is he's looking back at all these promises that have come before. That God would go and be a light to the Gentiles too. And he's, he's connecting Jesus with that. But I also don't think he's just looking back. I think he's also looking forward. If you grab your Bible, and if you have the Pew Bible in front of you, it's going to be page 1032, Revelation 7. Starting in verse 9. After this I looked, and behold... A great multitude that no one could number from from where? Every nation. From where? All tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And so what's happening is Simeon is looking back and he's saying, God has promised that he's going to be a salvation, not just to the Jews, but to the whole world. And he's even looking forward and he's saying, look, one day this is all going to happen. We know it. It's in Revelation. We see all people, all tribes, all languages represented. And, and here's Jesus, the promise that's going to bring all that to, all that to, to true, all that, make all that happen. And I think one of the things that, that can happen for us as Christians, I think this is actually one of the strengths of the American church is that we do place an emphasis on God's uh, individual love for us, right? We're, we're highly individualistic, and I think this is actually one of the things that, that, we, that we focus in on, and it's good, that God looked out in all the masses, but he knows me, right? Jesus came, he was born, and he died, he died for me, and he knows my name, and he, he can count all the hairs on my head, and he, he knows all this about me, and this this personal relationship with Christ is, is a huge emphasis in our churches, and it's good. But there's also this other reality, too, that there's a power in God, that he is going to save all nations, right? That there's going to be people from all tribes in all languages. And one of the things that can happen is that we can focus in on God's love and affection for me personally. And as we go through our lives... And as we try to witness to people and pray for people, we start to, we start to really doubt God's power. You know, when I was a kid, we lived in Washington State. I was an army brat. My dad was in the army. We lived in Washington State, and I started elementary school in a civilian school. And so, you know, when you're a kid and you're a boy and you get in conversations with other kids, one of the arguments you get on is, is whose dad can beat up whom, right? And you say... My dad can beat up yours. And as a kid, as a young kid, like, the most powerful person you know is your dad, right? He's the one who's opening the jars. He's the one who's fixing things, right? And so when I was in the civilian school, it was like, I had the trump card. My dad was trained to kill people, right? I mean, like, I don't know about your accountant dad, but... My dad was in the military, so, you know, there you go. And so I was taken up... Not just by his love and his personal relationship with me, but his power, right? And then 
we moved to Kentucky and we lived on a military base and I went to a military school and I was a little older and then I realized everybody's dads here were trained to kill people. <laughs> and, and my dad, uh, he worked in the mess hall and he, some of these guys were driving tanks, they were in infantry, some of their dads were really powerful. And so I stopped making that argument, right? You know, it's like, your dad could beat up, you know, my dad could beat up your dad, you know? And so I was still taken up with his love, but I started to doubt his power. And I think that that can happen in our lives as we, as we look and we see everything that's going on in the world, and we think this, we think it's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse, and then all of a sudden Jesus is going to say, enough, he's going to come. We're going to be losing, losing losing, and then right before, the fi- right before we're just all wiped out, right before we lose it all, then finally Jesus comes and rescues us. And I don't think that that's the reality of what's happening. We are winning. The gospel is going forth. It's taking new ground. And even though we might see things in the news and we hear, read bad stories, we're not the ones who are losing. Get your Bibles again. Let's look at Psalm chapter 2. If you're using the Pew Bible, page 448. Starting in verse 1. Why do the nations rage? And the people's plot in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointing, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. See, here's the deal, right? We, we face opposition. And we can, we can look in the news, right? There was an article not too long ago in Newsweek that's just blasting the Bible and blasting Christians. We see that all over the place. We can, we can feel the, the shift of culture kind of becoming where, where even Christians and evangelical Christians are facing certain levels of discrimination. We can go on the news. We can see ISIS killing Christians in Iraq. And we can feel this pressure. And we can say, you know what? It really feels like we're losing. But I think that the heat that we're feeling, the attacks that we fe- are feeling, are not the attacks from an enemy who's winning. It's the attacks of desperation from an enemy who knows it's already lost. It's kind of like this, right? In World War II, the Japanese, they had this amazing air force. And as the war progressed, they started losing all their best pilots. They started losing all their best planes. And it got to the point where they realized, we're not going to win this in the air anymore. We just can't. They don't, they, we didn't have the, the people to do it. And it was only then that they started the famous kamikaze attacks, right? And the kamikaze attacks, they would fill the planes with explosives. They would get the pilot out there, and he would go drive it into a ship. Was it dangerous? Yeah, it was dangerous. It was dangerous for the Americans, right? It was a terrible attack. Were they winning? No. You can't win crashing all your planes, right? You're going to need those later. But it wasn't the attacks that was, you know, we're going to take it to them. It was desperation. And that's the heat that we're feeling. Look at what it says right after that in verse 2. When it's talking about the nations raging. Or verse 4. He who sits in the heavens, what? 
last. I think of, this might be a little irreverent, but I think of Jabba the Hutt, right, in Star Wars. Ho, 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 ho. Right? I mean, like, here they are, the nations are raging, and God sits in heaven. He's not worried, he's laughing. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. He's talking about Christ there, right? He's saying, look, when Christ came and Simeon was holding up Jesus, and he says, you are the light of revelation to the Gentiles, he wasn't, that was not wishful thinking, right? It's not the power of positive thinking. It's not naming it and claiming it and hoping it comes true. He's saying this is the fact that this event that we, that we celebrated last week, and then all the way from Christ's death, birth to his death and resurrection, all of that changes everything, and we're winning. When we were in D.C., um, on the vacation I talked about earlier, we took a day and we went to Gettysburg. And it was near my birthday, and so Amber, for my uh, birthday, Amber's my wife, and for my birthday, she paid to have a tour guide drive us around Gettysburg. And it was probably the best birthday present I ever had because it was really awesome, right? This guy really knew his stuff, so he was driving us around, we had kids in the car, and so he took us to different monuments that had animals on it, and he would tell us the stories. And at the end of the route, we end up at Pickett's Charge. And for those of you who don't know, Gettysburg was a three-day battle in the Civil War. It was, it was one of the bloodiest battles ever uh, for Americans. And uh, what it was was there was a line of trees, and the Confederacy was lined up in that tree, those trees, and they had to walk three-quarters of a mile in open ground, to try to take the Union soldiers who were at a stone wall, right? And so that's what they were trying to do. And so he pulls up the car, and he turns to me and says, Tony, we need to get out. This is sacred ground, right? So we get out, and he starts really getting into it. He's like, imagine those trees from there to there, 6,000 men, and from there to there, another 6,500 men. And as the sun comes up, they start marching along. And the Union is raining down artillery and rifle fire towards them. And then they get to the stone wall, and General Armistead raises his sword and said, Give them the cold steel, boys. But they doesn't give them the whole cold steel. They get the cold steel. I mean, this guy is like so into it. I mean, I'm getting emotional. I'm expecting like the American flag to fall down behind him, you know. <laughs> I'm waiting for the battle hymn of the Republic to start, like, slowly playing. I'm like, oh, yeah, right. And he points and he says, that right there is where the Civil War ended. That's where slavery ended. It was a powerful moment. But was he right? I mean, for, for any of you history buffs, did the Civil War end at Gettysburg? No. No, it was, it was two years later, right? I mean, there was a lot of fighting left to do. So what was this guy talking about? Did they just hire some kook to be the tour guide at Gettysburg? Was he just hoping I didn't know? Like, he needs a tour guide. He's probably dumb. I can tell him anything. He'll believe anything. He paid me to do this. No. 
what, what he was talking about was the reality that the Confederacy lost so many men, so many leaders, and so much equipment that they would never be able to recover. For all intents and purposes, the war was over. There was still fighting to be done. The enemy was still dangerous. But there was really no doubt anymore about the outcome. And see, that's the same tension that we live in. Right? The, enemy, the, 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 the war is over. Right? Christ died. I mean, he rose from the dead. Everything's done. Now, he hasn't come back yet. Right? The enemy's still dangerous. There's still fighting to be done. But the, but the end is not in doubt. And God sits and he laughs. Because what do they have? What, is, what does the enemy have as their weapons? Well, they have the, the media. They have, they have culture. They have dark parts of the internet. They have, they have terrorist organizations. But we have the power of the Holy Spirit of God who can take unbelievers and turn them into believers like that. And we've seen it in history, right? We've seen Saul who is going to kill Christians. He was on a business trip. He wasn't seeking Jesus. And just like that, he's saved. And for some of you, that's your story, right? You were just going along, being fine as a heathen, right? You you weren't looking for Jesus. And then a series of events, boom, you're saved. And some of you have had this experience witnessing to people. I've heard some of these stories where you're going and you're going and you're, you're trying to share the gospel with somebody and they don't care and they don't care. And then one day... They start asking you questions. You're kind of bored about it. But then, boom, they're saved. You're like, how did that happen? Because we have a power that they don't have. We have the Holy Spirit. So we're winning this thing. You might say, well, that's great in theory, right? I mean, like, yeah, in theory, we're going to, we got it. You know, like, uh. You watch these TV shows, and then, you know, there's somebody gets kidnapped, and the person says to the victim's family, we're going to get them. And you're like, eh, maybe you will. We'll see if this is a happy show or a sad show. You know, you, you don't know. But here's what's interesting. We're not just winning in theory. We're also winning in fact. Uh, the modern missionary movement started about 200 years ago, and what that is is that's uh, the first time in history where really individuals and individual churches would come together and they would fund and send missionaries out throughout the world. Right? This is the, the, we're still a part of that, right? I'm a part of that. Our church is a part of that. You're a part of that. We're coming together and we're sending missionaries out. And with the, it all started with a man named William Carey. And when he went from England to Calcutta, he was the first one really to do this. And by the time he landed in Calcutta, it was a little over 200 years ago, 99% of the world's Christians lived in Europe and North America. 200 years later, just 200 years later, 74% of Christians live outside of North America and uh, Europe. I mean, it's going throughout the whole world. Does that sound like we're losing? Here, here's another one. This, these have come from Joshua Project, which is considered kind of the expert on these type of numbers And they said in A.D. 100, there was 360 unbelievers to every one practicing Christian. By 1900, that number was 21 unbelievers to every believer. By 1970, that was 13 to 1. And in 2010, 
it was seven to one. Does that sound like we're losing? Right? Does that sound like, you know, we're on our heels, things are getting worse and worse and worse and worse? No, we're winning big. We're going out, we're taking new territories for Christ. The Bible's being translated in new languages. Churches are being planted in new cities and new countries. We're going forward and we're winning. So the question, of course, becomes, well, what do we do about it, right? You know, because as we go out and as we're taking new ground, right, the enemy's turning up the heat. What we don't do about it, the, the incorrect response would be to shrink back, right? would be to, to say, okay, well, you know, I've got to lick my wounds a little bit. But no, it's time to, to keep on going forward, right? And what does that mean? It means living, living a life of love. It means self-sacrifice. It means, I, I love the phrase that Drew uses all the time. We talk about living a life of downward mobility. And we've got to keep on going throughout the nations and even locally to, to spread the gospel more and more. And as a, as a missionary, this is a really exciting time that we're living in. Because what's happening is we're able to start to see some of the fruits that were planted 200 years ago. And we're starting to see how they progress and grow into maturity. And so, so even now, there's, there's all these different stages of the church in different countries. And so you have some, some countries where uh, there are no believers, where people still haven't heard about Jesus, where there is no light. You, they can be born, live their life, and die, and never, never run into a Christian at all. And there's a lot of men and women going to those places, doing important work, trying to evangelize those people. And then there's places, right, a little... A little bit more progress, where they do have Christians, but, but it's, the, the church really hasn't taken root yet. And one of the places where this might be kind of surprising to think about is France. In France, evangelical Christianity has never really taken root. And so as a church, we help support a missionary, a missionary couple, who's actually moving to France in a couple of days to go, and they're going to go start a church in a city, try, try to raise up a French pastor, then move to another city, and start to, to raise up another French pastor. And that's kind of what they're doing there. They're trying to build some momentum of churches. And so we see that phase. And then we see places where there's, where there's a little bit more, more uh, things. The gospel is taking more root. Where it's a little bit more established. But the church is still in its infancy. It's still weak. It's still like, kind of like the church in Corinth. And, th- and that's places like Nicaragua. Where you have churches, you have pastors. But the church, because of its... Immaturity, because of its lack of training, lack of discipleship, you have a lot of legalism, which says if you're a good boy and you're a good girl, then you get to heaven. And now what you really have a lot of, too, is prosperity gospel, which is like legalism. And it says if you're a good boy, you're a good girl, you have enough faith, right, and you give me a little bit of money, then God's going to make you healthy and rich. And that's what's happening there. And so what, what our work is coming down there is is to help disciple these men and help to train them and help to, to raise them up to maturity and help to establish a, a Nicaraguan church planning movement where they're able to train their own people, where they're able to plant their own churches and send their own missionaries with the goal of really moving them to the next stage of maturity. And we're starting to see this in the world where places that used to take missionaries are now sending missionaries. Places like South Korea, even China, the Philippines, and Brazil you're starting to see that they're, they're like, we got it taken care of now, and we're jo- they're joining with us in sending missionaries out across the whole gamut as well. 
And so what you're seeing is this, this neat movement where you have missionaries from everywhere kind of going everywhere. And we're all starting to work together. And as we're all doing this, we're starting to see the progress increase. And, and this vague promise, this promise of Simeon that he would be a light of revelation to the Gentiles is now closer than it ever has been before. Because we're winning. So maybe you're sitting here today and you're thinking, okay, well, you know, that sounds all well and good. But, you know, maybe, you know, gospel going forward, what's the big deal? You know, why can't we just live and let live? You know, what are you talking about anyways? So that's what you're wondering. You know, what we believe is this, that God created the world. And he put men in that world and he gave us rules and laws to live by, right? And when you break the law, when you commit a crime, what happens? You get what? Punished, right? There's a punishment for breaking the law. And so that was true for us as well, right? We break God's law and we have to be punished by God. And so, so we, the, the fate of all men was to die and to face the judgment. But God wasn't content just to leave it like that, which is why we celebrate Christmas. Because he came down as a man, lived a perfect life, and then on the cross took our sins on him, and gave us the opportunity to be forgiven. And so now we can choose two ways to live. We can continue living for ourselves, living in our sin, or we can choose to turn from that, to repent, and to live for God. So we, if that's you today and you're thinking about that, you've never done that, you'd like to have more information about it, you know, I'm sure all the community group leaders would be happy to talk to you. I'd be happy to talk to you. you call the church office. We can give you more information on what that really means. And for those of you who are believers, right, and you do believe in God, I, I hope what you get from this is, is optimism and joy and realizing that we're not losing, losing, losing. We're going forward and we're winning. And as you go today and for the rest of the week, I just hope you feel that reality, right? That we are conquerors. And really, even as the Bible says, more than conquerors when we go in the power of God, the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you did not leave us in darkness. You didn't leave us in our sin. But you came and you died to make a way Lord, and that you um, are not content with just saving a few, but that you are active in moving and taking the gospel to all nations. And you invite us to be a part of that. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Revelation in the days of Simeon, but he remains to be the light of Revelation today. So as we go today, I hope you go feeling the power uh, that we have in the Holy Spirit because of Christ's death. Let me pray for us as we go. Lord, we pray that you would go with us today, that you, we would know our strength that we have in you. Please go with us and bless us. In Jesus' name, amen.